Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Pastor Tom, the cup of water. In Arizona, like, we are serious about hydrating, so I've got this. It's just what's happening. Uh, all right. Well, I guess to, just to get started, as mentioned, my name is Jim Weber. I am the youth pastor at Two Rivers Church, which means, yeah, we got some excitement because I know there's just such a rich history, thanks to Tom Alexander. We lovingly refer to you guys as the mothership, right? Which I was just thinking about. That's got to be so weird to visitors or new believers when we talk about having a mothership, and I wonder if we need to stop doing that. But um, <laughs> anyways, Pastor Tom is my boss, and he is also my father-in-law, which is big, right? It's an interesting situation. And what's, what makes that all possible, though, is before all that, he, he really truly became uh, my spiritual father and, and, and discipling me and seeing me as the, this young guy following around his daughter and taking it upon himself, instead of scaring me away, making sure that I knew the Lord and served the Lord and knew his word, and he, he changed my life. So that set the whole foundation to being able to have this wonderful thing, a boss, boss father-in-law situation. And I'm eternally grateful. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to make sure that this is going. Let's see. Hey, this is working. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. There you go. That's better. Thank you so much. Great. I'm, I'm extremely humbled and honored as well, obviously, to be here because, as, as he alluded to, I've got a rich history with Pastor Tom Flaherty. He's been an inspiration to me in my walk with Christ. Tom, his family, Alice, the leadership here, Nathan Rohde, amazing worship pastor. I actually invited him to do a youth retreat in Arizona, and... And I just feel so bad saying it. It was a summer youth retreat in Arizona. Like, what's wrong with me? I, I need to invite him to the winter retreat. So I just feel, Nathan, I'm going to, I did you wrong, and, and I'll have to get you back. And all right, in, in terms of an intro, I thought, just so you know, I will be talking about, guess what, intimacy with God, and actually going into the why, as in why we can have intimacy with God. But I thought it might be helpful to give a bit of a background of like where I'm coming from, because I'm just this like young youth pastor, who am I, right? And, and I realized just in, in, in terms of this being a youth night, I get to share a history of me as a young man pursuing God and God's pursuit of me, and it's just, it's pertinent. Because do we, do we have the youth group here tonight? Just wondering, do we have any young people? Yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. You guys can get louder too. I mean, we got to let, we got to represent. We got to represent. All right. Where to start? Oh, I'll, I'll show you a picture of my wife. Oh, that's not my wife. That's my son. Here's, here's my wife, Stacy. So you can see we're at Lambeau and I can hear the silence. You guys are noticing that we're wearing like the wrong jersey. Right? Is that what's happening? So we're wearing Cowboys jerseys. And it, it, you'll understand, I grew up in Texas. Okay? I grew up in the Dallas area. And just know that this was a really bad game. This was like Tony Romo was hurt. Matt Castle was quarterback. I said yes to coming to Lambeau in December, thinking like, oh, that's, that's a bucket list thing. Right? And wouldn't you know it, it was like a record hottest December here ever. It, we brought Arizona with us. And also, just for some grace, Tony Romo's from Wisconsin, and he grew up idolizing Brett Favre. 
that anything? We got some no Brett Favre people here. Uh, okay. Still need some healing there, and that's great. I, I want... I want to talk about forgiveness. I will be going into forgiveness. So this kind of gives you all a head start. If you need to practice forgiveness towards me for wearing a Cowboys jersey at Lambeau, that is okay. Oh, I pointed the wrong way. Here's my son, Ezra. We just had our firstborn. He's a, a little over a year, aspiring musician. There's a guitar down there. And we're, we're waiting for him to get saved so he can also be a worship leader. That'll, that'll be happening. And it's getting started. So I mentioned I grew up in Texas as a... I'd say, I guess, a traditional religious background, like uh, Catholic. And when I say Catholic, like, no, no knock against that. There are, in whatever denomination and whatever church, like, God is bigger, and there are on-fire people loving and serving the Lord and doing great things for the kingdom. It just, when I say that in my background, it was very much like a religion for me, as I, as I saw, and uh, like a tradition. And I remember, like, coming to an age of asking my dad, when you realize that people go to other churches— hey, dad, why do we go to church? And his answer was, well, son, when it was time for me to start a family, I wanted to make sure that we had a strong moral background. And the way you do that is you go to church. So that was like, that's why I thought church existed. And it worked for me at the time. And then uh, looking back, I can put words to it that I had various encounters with the Lord and kind of him pursuing me and winning my heart. And so I go through the different uh, they call them sacraments, all the way to confirmation, which that, you do that when you're about a senior in high school, and that's your adult decision, your adult declaration that you will be carrying out the faith or walking it out yourself. And I took that very seriously, like, okay, this is, this is on me. And I actually, I feel like I carried on to now my, my ministry in youth. It's a, it's, a, it's a strong belief I have that no matter your history in church, eventually the kids, the kids here need to come to their own yes to Jesus, right? And, and as great as, as a parent's history can be with the Lord, and, and it can tremendously help, and I do firmly believe that like a, a parent's ceiling can become the kid's uh, floor. Yes, I had to think that through. The kids, though, still have to like, climb the ladder to start there in the first place. And um, sometimes, honestly, what I'm finding is it's, it's the hardest to get the parents to understand that. Like, hey, yeah, your kids, like, I know they've been coming to church, but they really need to know Jesus, so come on. And I, I guess, yeah, I, I experienced that all as, a, as an 18-year-old, a young man. And like a few days after that, so I grew up in Texas, and then I'm getting ready to go to college in Arizona. So that's how I end up in Arizona. And one of my last meals at home, my, my father, who I love, and I, and I realize more and more as I get older, is what a great loving father and mother that I had. But my father extends his invitation of saying, now, son, you're getting ready to go off to college, and this is the time often where people leave the church and go explore themselves and find themselves, go on this journey, yada, yada. And that's what I did, so I want you to know that if you do that, I'm going to be here and loving you, and that's okay. I'll give you my blessing. And I remember even thinking then, no, why would I do that? I already just did confirmation. I had known enough with, with my history for, with, with God that there was a God and his name was Jesus. Like, I knew that much, very basic, rudimentary, right? But I had known that Okay, if God, Jesus, went all in, obedient unto the point of death, who am I to think that I can, I can just, like, settle for anything less than that, right? And, and unfortunately, as you go on through, through your walk, right, you see people kind of fall into this thought that, oh, I'm going to take a break from church. I'm going to take a break from God. 
And, and it just doesn't work like that. Like, if Christianity is a thing, it only makes sense that it costs everything. And that, that's just where I am. So I continue. I, I'm also, I had a, 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 I had a lot of fun just putting this together because I'm, I'm like thinking back in my history with God. And I realized even then, like saying that I was still going to continue on with him, it was a really simple yes. I didn't know any Bible really. I didn't know like, oh, God's faithful to fulfill his promises. It was just like a, I know there's a God who so makes sense for me to pursue him. And that simple yes without an agenda, like God, God took that and ran with it in a big way. And I really think that there are people here today, like God just looking for those simple yeses. All right. He's just kind of like, I don't care how simple or how little of a yes that is, but I'll use it. I'll breathe life into it. And so I just want to encourage you, like if that's where you're at, cool. That's where you're at. Now, I, a few years later, I'm still, I'm still in, in, in mass, right? And then something happens where the Lord supernaturally unlocks my mind to the scripture. Because Jesus did that a few times post-resurrection, showing up to the disciples. It said even then, after conquering death, he needed to supernaturally unlock the minds uh, to, to, their, to the word of God. And that happens to me because I start just noticing things like, wow, God's amazing. Wow, Jesus did that. He healed the sick. He delivered demons. And it's like I'd been reading. I'd grown up in church. Why did it wait till I was 20? No one laid hands on me. It just like something clicked. And I started to wonder even like, God, is there more to you than what I'm experiencing? There must be. I remember even, like, before I could, I feel like, finish or flesh out that thought, it was like, I got this, like, yes. Like, yes, I've been waiting actually 20 years for you to ask, right? But I've also, I also feel like, in a sense, we're supposed to actually live there, right? God, is there more to you than what I'm experiencing? It's a great place to be. I mean, asking in faith and expectancy, and and I think that that's a huge part of this intimacy with God conference that that I just so love. So I do that, and then shortly thereafter, just long story short, I meet Stacy Alexander, right? Beautiful, beautiful woman, obviously, but she's also the first. She's the first person I'd ever known to be like openly known for loving Jesus. Right? Like she loved Jesus, but she also loved people. Like she was friends with like unbelievers and, and, and church. And, and, and she just like, she shined. She had a glow about her, not just because I was attracted to her, but like there was just something different about her. And, and she was good at soccer. It's just all just kind of came in. The Lord used it, really. And so she then invites me to Two Rivers Church. Pastor Tom Alexander is the first man then I see preach the word of God like it is alive and active and has authority for today, like God is interested in today. So I'm like, okay, this is just all lining up with there must be more, there must be more. And then I also do something dangerous. I'm, I'm still at Mass at the time because then there was a time where I like tried out both, right? And, and I'm asking God, uh, I, was in, I was in a unhealthy relationship. I'm like, God, do you want me to be in this relationship with this girl? And it seems so basic, right? Like asking God a question, but I wasn't raised to know that God like might have thoughts for my life, right? I was kind of raised like, yeah, he's kind of distant, right? So I get this no, like it was, uh, God, did you just answer me? You know, it was crazy. And and it, was, it wasn't like the, the, the cloud split open, audible voice, no. And everybody looks in the church like, man, God just told no to that young man over there. 
right? But it was, I knew it wasn't my own thought. I, I just knew it was God. And so that was just, that was groundbreaking for me. So anyways, God speaking, I get invited. And so I see Pastor Tom preaching the word. Two months in, I get invited. Or Yeah, I'm not going to say like duped into going to a retreat, but it was my first youth, young adult retreat of my life because I was the kid when I was a Catholic, you had to go on a retreat for confirmation. And I like had my mom call the office to get me out of it. Like I didn't do retreats. And even like I was the kid where one hour was a really long time for me. It was, it was really hard. And I'd be like, mom, do we have to go to church? And I don't know if this is like Catholic rhetoric or just overall American, but my mom would be like, you know, Jesus died for you. God made the world. He gave you life. The least you can do is give him an hour of your week. And I was like, fine. You know, like one hour. Goodness gracious. And now I'm getting ready to preach to you guys for like four hours, which is crazy. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So Pastor Flaherty, would you believe it, was the speaker, the guest speaker at this retreat. And just my mind was blown. I see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, overcome by the presence of God, slain in the Spirit. Is all these great things where I'm like, wow. Because again, it's like, I was just wondering, God, is there more to you than what I'm experiencing? Right? Wow. And, but at the same time, feeling the peace of God, just saying, yeah, this is me. All right? I mean, I was, I've been waiting for you to look. Here, here I am. And, and here I am. Now, Pastor Flair, he reminded me because he was talking to me about this is youth night. Where are the youth at? I forgot. Okay, that was a little, yes, let's go. So this is youth night. So he said, can you share your heart for the youth? And then I remember thinking like, shoot, dude, like, what's my heart for the youth? I, I've, been, I've been a youth pastor for three years, which was great because once I got, I was so grateful to get past the first six months because in the first six months, Pastor Tom Alexander would remind me that, hey, the average turnaround time for youth pastors just, they last six months. Just saying, I'm like, all right. So once I got past six months, I was like, yes, I'm in. And yeah, it's like a sad sap, but it was great. He was there for the reminder, praying, covering me in prayer and giving me grace and everything. And uh, so I love the youth because they're honest and kind of like how Pastor Flaherty alluded to, I like playing games. Youth are always down to play games. Like, there are way more games, in my experience, in our church, there's more games going down at the youth ministry uh, retreats than the young adults. Like, I'm like, come on, guys. It's fun here. So I love that. They're looking for the genuine. And I've had the privilege of being mentored by really a giant in the youth ministry who's been in the youth ministry for uh, over four decades. All right, like, that's a commitment to youth. And someone asked her, why? Why youth ministry for so long? Because, you know, some people want to use it to move on to other things and everything. And she said that she found a statistic in America, 92% of what she called New Testament conversions, as in you are, you are confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So 92% of New Testament conversions in America will happen by the age of 18. Which... That's, that's my vision. That, is, that like just lit me on fire. Because you see the eternal significance 
of, of the youth ministry, sometimes a ministry that can be looked at as this like on the side thing, right? Or like, a, yeah, whatever. Same with kids ministry, which you guys have an awesome kids ministry here at City Church. Legendary Pastor Dave Bechtold, definitely. So he's a legend in, in FCA. So anyways, that, that's my heart for the youth. I, I just, I love it. And, and I'm privileged and humbled to, to be able to serve. Here, here's also, sorry, this, you'll learn when you preach to youth, you have to have memes. Am I right, youth? You have to have memes. Every youth pastor, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing it really, really well, right? Like, okay. Like, you, that, that's just kind of my vision for youth ministry. All right. Now, now I'm, I'm sure this is the moment you all have been waiting for because as I practice this message, I've, I have on good authority that this is the most anointed Holy Spirit-inspired part of my message. Okay? Let's stand in honor of God's word. The, sub t- the subheading is extravagant worship, which, hey, intimacy with God, that's what it's about. We are in Luke 7, starting at verse 36, and I'm in the Passion Translation. So, verse 36. Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Verse 40. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher, I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she is shown Me, such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, All your sins are forgiven. 
All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is this one who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Jesus, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your, for your example here, for your forgiveness, that you offer, you extend forgiveness to us even, even now, Lord. We thank you for this, this woman's example of extravagant worship. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and supernaturally unlock our minds to your word, that we may hear and see you and experience your love. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So, point number one. Blinded, as in blinded by pride. So listening to past messages here, I, as I, I was getting ready to, to come and speak at, you know, obviously City Church, and I found that you guys are on Spotify. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. Pastor Flaherty is preaching on Spotify. It was awesome. And so I was, wanted to listen to one of his most recent messages to kind of see what's going on. And he was preaching on, it was... Transform Life, part 32, I think. <laughs> part 10, part 10. And what was cool, because I hadn't, you know, I've heard him a few times, and he's like, hey, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to bring up a movie. I'm like, oh, what? He's going to bring up a movie right now? And then he goes with Man of Steel. And was anybody else like, really, Man of Steel? Like, that was so mediocre, this guy's not even Superman anymore, and that's a, that's a whole other thing, right? But then he talks about it, and he's like, man, as Superman represents Jesus, and it's about getting identity from the Father, and, and representing where you're from, and he's from another planet, and we need to represent the kingdom of God here on earth. And that fired me up to actually want to watch the movie, really. I mean, they, they can get him as the hype man. So he covers... Then my, one of my favorite parts of his message is he explains how there is this battle between flesh and the spirit, right? Which I, I so appreciate that, that he's like not afraid to touch that because I, I think it gets avoided sometimes. Be, I, I know for me being born again, when I then dealt with temptation and struggle and, and sin, I, you, I started to wonder like, man, is there something wrong with me? And I feel like the enemy really wants to get you to just think that about yourself. There is something wrong with you. It's to stop you in your tracks, right? And Pastor Tom is talking about, no, it's normal. That battle happens, right? And when you're born again, Jesus awakens your spirit. And now we're learning to live in submission to the spirit versus the flesh. But there is that battle. And he goes over the different things that you can be struggling with. And he names it all which I love, and he goes over uh, greed, addiction, alcoholism, lust, pornography. Um, what, what's one that gets skipped a lot just a week of it? Uh, gluttony. Guys, when I come to Wisconsin, man, the cheese curds, like, I got to be careful to not cross that line of gluttony, really. And I haven't actually had any yet this trip, so maybe tonight. We'll see. It's, but that's the thing. And then what he goes after that list, he's like, okay, if you didn't, if you don't see yourself on the list, then you have the worst one of them all. You have pride, and it's blinded you to your situation, right? And I'm like, that just cut deep, right? Was anybody else like, yeah, I'm not on the list? Anybody at that time? And I'm like, dang it. So, so blinded by pride and what it does. 
All right, and, and Simon is so very, so very blinded. So if you're wondering where we're getting that from. So we got this whole extravagant act of worship. In, in, one of the, in the midst of one of the most radical and pure expressions of worship, Simon's pride prevents him from fully knowing Jesus. He's focused, really, on how much better he is than that immoral woman, right? And, um, and I like it because we kind of sung how, the, in the simple gospel, I'm not too familiar with the words, but it was something about, like, I try to put God in a box, right? And, and you can't, like, stop, stop trying to. But you know what else we can't put in a box is sin, right? Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll be like, God, I'm going to give you this area, this area, this area, but I'm going to hold this on to myself. And what you, what you find is, is, you know, put some sin here, it's going to bleed over, basically, in the others. And I feel like that's what's really happening here with Simon, because it starts with how much better he is than the immoral woman, right? Which seem, seemingly harmless, right? He is, is a religious leader, and she's known in, in the town as being a prostitute. But then, then it slides over to how much better he must be than Jesus, right? With right here in verse 39, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, right? So now he's putting himself in this seat. I thought I heard a beep or something. No, okay. He's putting himself in this seat of like, yeah, I know more than Jesus. And sometimes we do that, right? Well, if God knew what I knew, he would give me an excuse on this sin, right? So here he is. This man can't be a prophet. And then Jesus says, which I love. I love how, how the Passion Translation kind of puts it in our modern Christianese. Verse 40, Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you, right? There's going to be some of y'all at this conference or someone's going to be, hey, brother, I got a word for you. Hey, I got a word for you, right? It's going to be awesome. So cool. But let's just like picture what would you do if Jesus walked up to you, right? And he was like, hey, I got a word for you. Like how epic. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd be like, Jesus, hold on. I pull out my phone. Hang on. I got to open voice memos. Going to get that recorded. And then wait one second too. I'm also going to get my prayer journal and write this out verbatim. And then Stacy, get the camera ready. We can't miss a thing on this. We need to get it all from all the different angles. You'd be ready. And I, I know how it's like here because there was a few years ago at a conference, uh, Pastor Dan Hammer was here and he was like going to give words after and the line went out. It like went out the sanctuary. That's just, that's kind of what happened. So like if th- this is Jesus saying, hey, I've got a word for you. And, and what does Simon say? What does he say? He says, go ahead. The NASB, the Pharisees' reply is, say it. Right? And so scholars, either way, however you want to put it, they say, yeah, it's not exactly excited or inviting. And it makes sense because he already came to a judgment in his heart. Why would he be excited? This man's not a prophet. He's not a true prophet. So anyways, moving on. We got the all-time great act of worship that makes it into the Bible. So it's like a Hall of Fame act of worship. This kind of worship, just as a side note, because a passion of mine is worship, actually. And uh, I'd, I'd say, like, even above... I mean, I just, love, I just love worship. We'll just say that. All right. I could say above anything, I love Jesus. Okay. This kind of worship releases so much freedom in the room, 
And that was one reason I really love, that's what this conference is about. Let's passionately worship Jesus. When, when Pastor Nathan was like, hey, there's freedom here, boom, people were like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll take it. Okay, now, if you're not being a Pharisee at the moment, it can build your faith, right, as you look around. Like, my faith was built by seeing young Caleb up here at the front worshiping, okay? Like, there's something when you just see a young person who's like, already, yeah, come on. And that's something that I like about youth, in terms of heart for youth, is they're usually willing to, to get out of the box and try new things. And sometimes the danger that I'm aware of, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm just some young guy versus old guy. Like, I, I know I'm going to have to forever battle this of, like, I can get comfortable or figure out the A plus B equals C and not want to get out of my box, right? So there's something about youth where they're like, yeah, okay, I'll try that. Okay, I'll, I'll look weird. Who cares, right? Okay, so... The woman's reaction to Jesus, I feel, in this case, right? Because she finds out that Jesus is, is the guest of honor at the, at the Pharisee's house. She'd probably never go into the Pharisee's house if not for Jesus being there. And she finds out Jesus is there, and she goes and does this epic worship scene, fully abandoned, surrendered to Jesus. And I, I really feel like it implies that she's had a past encounter with Jesus, Right? I mean, it doesn't really go into that, but it, it makes sense to me. And, and we don't know if it was like Jesus had ministered to her or if she'd just been in the crowd and heard some, sat under some of his teachings and was just had the revelation of who this man is. He's the son of God, and he has the power and authority to forgive sins. And, and what you realize is that the history you build with Jesus has an effect on your worship response. Right? Because we're all here, intimacy with God, to want to draw near to Jesus and to want to like take worship up, up a level. And I love how Pastor Tom Flaherty is like, you know, no one's here because they don't want to be. That's actually another thing I like about worship ministry is a lot of people, some people still come because their parents make them. <laughs> you know, like, so there might be, hey, if there's someone here and they don't want to be like, hey, you're here and watch out, God can get you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> your prayer life slash devotional life is the impouring, right? And then the worship is the outpouring. Or if you want to look at it as like, the prayer is the inhale, worship is the exhale. So sometimes if you're just like, man, I'm just feeling a little dry in worship or I'm not really feeling it. Like, hey, okay, just work on the inhale. All right? Grow, grow in, that, in that devotional time. One thing that I'm trying to do, because that was new to me. I, I didn't grow up with the whole like Christ, Christian secret place devotional life rhetoric. And so coming in my 20s, it was kind of like this buzzword that we throw around, and I think we expect just everyone to get it, and that we expect that everyone's doing it, right? We, like, like, some of us are here like, I hope no one asks me if I did it, right? And, um, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm practical, so I've, I like to kind of put kind of like how-tos of things, because I was kind of like there, like, what is this secret time? And so one thing I'm trying to do it in my youth group in, in Arizona is, I heard about this, this little formula, and be careful doing formulas with God, I know, I know. It's just a starter thing, right? It's called the 10 and 10. 10 minutes of being in the Word, and then 10 minutes of prayer. That's just a start, and then with the hope that, hey, if you got more time, you got more time, do it like freedom, right? And if you got a busy day, hey, at least you got a 10 and 10 in, and, and you put God first. And so obviously, during the school year, uh, the goal is five out of seven days. You get the 10 and 10, right? And during the school year, even for my most on fire, like youth leaders, just the, like mature Christians, I'd be like, hey, how'd you do? 
because we're, we're in discipleship, so I get to ask like the hard questions one-on-one and stuff. Hey, how'd you do? And they're like, oh, three out of seven days. I'm like, okay. Two out of seven. Thanks for being honest. You know, hey, hallelujah. Like I said, the youth are honest. And I, I was like getting, for a time, I was actually really disheartened. Like, why? Why is it two out of seven? Why isn't it five out of seven? Why don't people want to spend time with Jesus, right? And, and I actually, like, the Lord was just kind of reminding me, like, hey, this two out of seven is, like, what, a 200% increase from last year when it was zero out of seven, okay? Like, come on. And, and also what I just was even reminded of, of kind of as, as I'm preparing for this message, is people haven't all seen what I've seen. You know what I mean? And Well, no, you don't. This is what I mean. So I mentioned having front row seats to Pastor Tom Alexander and how he does things. Like, he is like a pastor's pastor. He loves people. And just this amazing discipler, right? And now I get also, for fam- we do like family vacation. So I get, to, I get some extra time with Pastor Tom Flaherty. And I get front row seats to a bit of his devotional life. Just, just a small bit, right? Like where he, he'll, he do this, does this thing called Hot Tub Devos right? Hot tub devos, where he's just ready. He's spending time with the Lord. It's heaven in the hot tub. And, and he's got a sermon ready. And really, it's because it's part two of his devos, because he still already did his devos before then. If you're making it to the hot tub, that's part two. And it's still like a tremendous blessing. But that just inspired me. Because for those of you wondering, Pastor Tom Flaherty is the same on fire, in love, passionate preacher that he is up here on the platform on vacation and and in hot tubs and wherever he goes. And sometimes if we're not careful, it could be easy to kind of attribute it to, oh, well, he's just got like a really sharp, brilliant mind. Like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's just really smart. Like, that could never be me. But... If you think about it, I, I, what, what I'm seeing, what we get to see is the fruit of, of a man who has paid the price, right? He's put in the time at the feet of the Lord. He's, he's put in the time mining through the word of God for its treasures, for his wisdom, and, and having his life transformed. And then, and then he's, got, he's got the inpouring that I'm talking about so that he can exhale. And so how do we do that? Like, I, I'm realizing, okay, not everyone see, gets to see Pastor Flaherty. The Lord has, has provided me an opportunity to see it. How I want to transfer that on. All right, you guys getting to sit under his preach, preaching, you get to transfer that on. And then you hear the, the, the cliche that the biggest, most important things are often caught, not taught. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time, I guess, right? But if, as long as I'm doing it myself, and, and I love doing it, as long as you're doing it yourself, if you're hoping that your kids join in, like, they got to see that you love it, right? They got to see that you love spending time in worship and, and, and prayer and everything. All right, so moving on to point two. I promise you, that was like the longest point. It'll maybe be shorter. <laughs> point two is debt forgiveness, Okay. And I'm getting that from the parable of the two debtors. All right, this is part one of a meme. It's a two-parter, okay, just if you're wondering. So did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. I'll go into, so th- this is kind of a play on Dave Ramsey. Do you want to hear some facts on debt since we did the parable of the two debtors? Yeah. I'm glad I heard a yes. I was going to do it even if I didn't hear any yeses. <laughs> 
So there's more than 189 million Americans have credit cards. The average credit card holder has three cards. And on average, each household has eight grand, over eight grand in credit card debt. And total U.S. consumer debt, it says, that, that includes the mortgages, auto loans, student loans, $13 trillion. So as I mentioned, my wife, start, she started this all. She has been getting into Dave Ramsey. Here's the second part, because this is really his program. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Really? Like, that's, it's so simple. What a great idea. And so she's been getting into Dave Ramsey. Total Money Makeover is one of his books. We read it together, and we have friends who, who did it and like have conquered $150,000 in debt in like something crazy like four years. So Stacy found out about it. Now we gotta, we're just getting everything in gear. And so one thing that she said in the past couple months this is like a direct quote. Maybe we should cut back even more on Christmas gifts. All right? What, what I had to remind her of is just a few years ago, we already decided to do it. And I think this was at the suggestion of probably Leslie, right? The secret Santa. So we because, you know, people marry into the family. It's growing. It's growing. Secret Santa is then done so that you are in charge of getting a gift for just one person. You get assigned that one person. The downside is, though, that you're only going to get a gift from one person. That's how it works. I'm trying to find a way to beat the system, and I've yet to. Because one of my love languages is gifts, guys. And so here's Stacy. She wants to go even simpler on Christmas. How's that going to look? And, yeah, like another example, we, so we had to take some time and be like, okay, hey, let's just take... By ourselves, let's think of something we can cut. It'll be a sacrifice, or, and then we'll come, back, we'll come to and share what, what, we, what we decided. So she comes, and she's like, Costco. And I'm like, guys, that's like a Costco. Do we have any Costco fans here? Yeah, wow, okay. Guys, the Costco fans are louder than the youth. Let's go, youth. All right? But, I mean, we're all waiting for the new cell to get released for whatever, for August, right? I mean coming in the mail. So we got, that's our date spot. So that's what Stacy recommended was Costco. And I was just like, uh, the gym, right? And she wasn't a fan of that. So anyways, it's like, I'm accused of being lazy at that one. It's a sacrifice. So spiritually speaking, there are those aware of the debt and those aware that it has been forgiven. And so here, you know, here's the parable, the story about the two men. There's the one who owes 10K and then 100K. This is where all this debt talk is coming from. If you're like, why is he talking about money? Goodness gracious. All right. I think we can mistakenly make this about, like, which debtor are we, right? And, and I really don't think that's the point. I, I think, actually, Jesus is, he's meeting the Pharisee where he's at. Like, that's, that's where the Pharisee's thinking. He's, I'm sure in his mind, he's, he would be the 10K, and this immoral woman is the 100K, right? And we can also look at the immoral woman, And think, well, I don't have that much debt. Because she was like known as being the immoral woman, right? Like other people knew it. It was out there. But I also think, you know, there could be, there could be some people here who maybe you don't have that public rep of being immoral, but privately uh, you've been dabbling in things. You know you shouldn't, right? And, and what, either way, wherever you are, I, I find that you can be the hardest person 
to, to kind of give you a pass on your past, right? Because you've been keeping score. You've been there from the beginning. And, and I like it. We, we were praying before Pastor Tom said that this is a story of this woman. She's had a mess, obviously, and she was able to bring it to the feet of Jesus. Ultimately, though, wherever you think you lay with debt, because you could feel like you're the Pharisee. Obviously, I mean, odds are you are, right? If you're here in intimacy with God, you're, I'm holy, man. The fact that I'm here in the first place, I'm a religious leader. I'm not the immoral woman, right? Ultimately, we all have a history with debt. And here's, you know, here's our go-to verses, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so this is where I go to. This is why it's not about how much debt you have, right? It doesn't say for the wages of the person with 10K doesn't get as much death as the person with the 100K debt, right? It's just death is death, all right? And we've all had that history with the debt. So Dave Ramsey kind of figured out what would it look like if we stopped buying things that we can't afford. But furthermore, let's, let's, in terms of spiritually speaking, what would it look like if I started viewing sin as something I can't afford. I'll just say that again because I heard that, mm, you know, I'm just, what would it look like if I started viewing sin as something I can't afford? As in, I can't afford to put this before my relationship with Jesus. I can't afford to put this before my role as a loving and faithful husband, my role as a father or, or a friend. That would solve debt, right? So debt forgiveness. And then Jesus does the great thing. You know, we, we got the more famously known line. For, he who's forgiven much loves much. Forgiven little loves little. Passion translation. I like that it puts this in. He who assumes that you've been forgiven little. And then this is where we enter in that famous, you know what they say about assume, right? So he who assumes that you've been forgiven little. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. There we go. So she's been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. There's, I, I had a, uh, so we just had the time of graduating seniors, which is sad. That's, a, that's actually one hard thing about youth ministry is because people are moving on and moving out to other things and college and everything. And so there was this, this young man who I knew was getting ready to go, and he wasn't a super regular person at youth, right, because he had baseball extracurricular. So I didn't have, like, this relationship with him. I just knew that, man, he's getting ready to go off to, I don't know what, let me just, I would... This is, I'm going to just try to meet with him and see, if he, see where he stands with Jesus. And, uh, and so I, I get together with him, and, and I'm like, hey, like, have you had that moment where Jesus really became real for you? Like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, whoa, when was it? And, and he's like, January. At the January retreat, Pastor Tom Flaherty prayed for me. And, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome, you know? And, and it was the night we're doing the Holy Spirit night. He really felt the presence of God. And so it just made it easy. I shared, I shared the gospel with him. We'd, we'd, Pastor Tom Alexander taught me this thing called the bridge illustration. So you just do that as a simple illustration of, you know, we've got this chasm that can only be crossed by Jesus and what he did on the cross. 
And do you want to open your door and cross over? Do you want Jesus to be your Lord? And he was like, yeah. It was so easy because he already had that encounter. It was really like, wow, I was blown away. Thanks to coming to a retreat. And he was, he was basically sharing, like, you know, I've, I've grown up in church. And, and I, I mean, obviously, like, I'm 18. I've, I've gone, I've responded to those altar calls before. And nothing's ever happened. And I, he didn't even go in the first wave. You know, he was, he was later. Because he, he was, I mean, he had some doubt. But he felt the Lord just say, hey, come on up. And that's what he remembered. He's like, I said yes to it. I mean, I kind of didn't want to, but I thought I felt like God was inviting me, so I said yes, and God met him there. So, so we share the gospel. Jesus is Lord. That's a Tuesday. Our youth is on a Wednesday. That night, one of my other seniors who I meet with for discipleship is like, hey, that dude was like on fire in worship. You know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And uh, then a month in, we go to a, a conference where there's a lot more worship and multiple people are telling me inside, like, hey, have you noticed so-and-so? Like, they're really going for it in worship. And, and it's re- I, I realize it's just this plain, plain out, forgiven of all her many sins. This is why they've shown me such extravagant love. I didn't do this whole pep talk of like, hey, you're saved now, so you need to up your worship game. And like sometimes, I mean, that is something I would say, right? <laughs> That is so something I would say, like, are you saved? What's going on, right? But I didn't. I was just happy that he wanted to cross over, that he had encountered God, and nothing was said about worship. But he's just going for it. It's the proof right here, right? This is why he has shown me such extravagant love. He's actively loving much. So this last point, do you see? coming out of verse 44, where actually Jesus says, don't you see the woman kneeling here? So I love it. She's still epically worshiping and weeping at his feet. And he's like telling this parable to kind of a jerk Pharisee, right? But do Jesus loves it. But it's easy. You know, I'm just calling him a jerk. He, he was mean. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell me your word, Jesus. Right? Don't you see this woman kneeling here? And so do you see people through Jesus's eyes? Because it can be so hard. Can you keep in mind that you don't have the full story? The Pharisee thought he had the full story. Yeah, I know this girl's reputation, right? And, which made him think, yeah, I know this girl's destiny, even. And sure, she had a reputation. But what the Pharisee didn't know is she also had an, an encounter with Jesus. And that one encounter with Jesus redirected her destiny. And transformed her into now a woman who didn't care and could come into a dinner scene with religious leaders and set the example for them on how to worship, right? Which it is amazing. And hey, intimacy with God, right? So we got the washing. So now here's the next thing is it's even harder. So first we got to see other people through Jesus' eyes. So you got that person who just really bugs you. Just be like, God, I need to see you as, see them as you see them. But then do you see you through Jesus' eyes is also key. And that's hard because you've got the full scoop too, Right? 47, she has been forgiven of all her many sins. The extravagant love and worship is the proof that she is already forgiven. It's not done to be forgiven. I love that. Oh, uh, worship team, if I, I, get, I want to invite you guys. I don't know if I do that. Do I? Worship team, I'm going to keep going, but just, we're, we're winding down. 
She's been forgiven of all her many sins. Verse 47. 48, he goes on and he says again, all your sins are forgiven. Right? I mentioned how debt is rampant in America. And really, I mean, if you think about it, debt is rampant in humanity. All have sinned. Wages of sin is death. So knowing this, I wonder, like, like just picture this. All right? If, if you knew that, that at the altar was this way to wipe clean your debt, I'm talking like the financial debt, right? Because like, on average it's what, eight grand, grand of credit card debt. If you knew that somehow you can come up here and get that wiped clean, how many of you would do that, but then like walk out the doors and just say like, yeah, I had 75% of my debt wiped clean. I decided to hold on to some bondage still because, you know, why not? I'm just going to keep, I'm just not ready to let go of that. Right? We wouldn't do that. We would be like, yes, take it all. Right? 100%. Jesus says she's been forgiven of all her many sins. And the dinner guests, I like this, they, you know, they question, who's this guy who can forgive sins? And he doesn't even address their skepticism. He's just like, keeps doing his thing. Your faith in me has given you life. So this woman knew she had been forgiven and Jesus hadn't yet died on the cross. Right? And, and you have to know that we live in a better time because we live after the cross. So we can like look back in the past, what the cross, what happened on the cross, right? And know that Jesus conquered death and paid for our sins. So this woman knew that she had forgiveness before the cross. You got to know it's how, like, in how much greater of a way is it available now? We live after the cross and it is finished. Let's go ahead and stand. Because the parting thing, the fun thing to do with this message and this reading is, is ask, you know, which one are you? The immoral woman, the religious leader. I've been both. Often, and I didn't even really think Pastor Tom Alexander put this, like you could be both simultaneously. That's what's crazy, huh? I know the position of being blinded by pride. I know the position of, of accruing debt, buying things I can't afford, a.k.a. sin. I've stepped through the doors of nights like this, whatever, worship nights, where shame and condemnation, condemnation wanted to keep me home and isolated. And so I just, I just want to acknowledge anyone who is like 50-50, like, man, I don't really want to come tonight. I know it's intimacy with God, but boy, I'm feeling far tonight. I, in those times, I, I experienced forgiveness and, and breakthrough and love from a father. And I just, I just want to explain, because you're seeing we have communion here. So tonight at the altar, it's an open invitation to draw near and experience forgiveness for today. And, and I just think that's key. That's like step one of drawing, of gaining intimacy with the Lord, right? Forgiveness makes the way. What Jesus did on the cross makes the way. Communion... I ask that it be made available because it's that opportunity for us to remind ourselves because we know like the Israelites needed to be reminded how many times and they had the pillar of fire and the cloud they needed to be reminded, right? This is our opportunity to remind ourselves of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. By his blood, we are washed whiter than snow. 
And I, I'm reading a book. I read it like one and a half times in the past month, which is weird. Like when I, I, I hope to finish it again. I mean, I already finished it once. It counts. It's called The Power of Communion. And I realized taking communion is waging spiritual warfare. Did you know that? Because Jesus says that, he says, hey, do this in remembrance of me of what I'm about to do. And when you take communion, you are boldly declaring the good news, the gospel, and, and what he accomplished on the cross. So, hence the immoral woman found forgiveness before the cross. We live in the greater time. Taking communion is an opportunity for us now to align with the truth of the cross in every aspect of our life, body, soul, and spirit. All right, so there's been testimonies where simply taking communion has helped physical ailments, illnesses, mental illnesses. And at the very least, it's, it's, it's a draw near time. So what we're about to do is in worship is this is a come as you feel ready to take communion. No matter who you are, maybe you felt like you were the religious leader. Maybe you felt like the immoral woman. Actually, can we close our eyes and and bow our heads? I feel like there's someone here tonight who, you know, you are that, you're, you're the immoral woman, but you haven't yet like said yes to Jesus. Or even as I was mentioning how important it is for that, that person to have their own history and their own yes, I think there's someone who hasn't yet done that, but they want to know that forgiveness. Could you raise your hand if that's you? Because I don't want to move on without doing that. And I'll give some time. I see that hand, Hallelujah. You want to have your own yes with Jesus, your own story. All right, I I just want to invite you. I want to pray for you specifically during this this worship time. Now, everyone else, as we pray, Lord, move on hearts, whether it's the religious leader, the immoral woman, whether we have the past, Thank you so much, God, that your heart is for the one. Even in this big event, you see the one, Lord. I pray for a special anointing, Lord, of hearing from you in deeper ways tonight and as this conference progresses, of closeness, Lord, of sustained closeness that doesn't end with, with this conference, but it goes on in our quiet time and devotional life. Come and touch our hearts. In your mighty name, amen. All right, let's worship.